Now we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Murphy Houston. Back. Yep, it's Murphy Houston still here, and it's time to talk to us, Dr. John Douglas of Tri-County Health, formerly with the CDC, kind of a Colorado update on COVID-19. And joining me is my friend Jayla Sanchez-Warren from Dr. Cog, the Denver Regional Council of Government's Area Agency on Aging. Jayla, how's it going? It is going well, Murphy. How are you doing? Well, we're doing good. You know, we're into Labor Day weekend, a couple of days off, and uh, uh, we're kind of wondering that the last couple of uh, holiday weekends, things as far as COVID-19 are concerned, got a little crazy. And that's why we bring in to start our show each Saturday, and we're very grateful for his time, Dr. John Douglas from Tri-County Health, formerly with the CDC. And Dr. John, how are you doing? I'm uh, doing fine, Murphy. Uh, looking forward to Labor Day. Yeah, and I imagine, as I just said, there's probably a little concern that we behave ourselves. So the COVID, then I think I'll let you tell me more. Kind of good, but is it uh, a worry about Labor Day weekend or what might happen? Yeah, it, it is, and you're right. When we've had holiday weekends previously, uh, Memorial Day, especially Fourth of July, we saw some upticks in cases. Uh, we are worried uh, about the possibility of the same thing happening after Labor Day. Um, it's kind of the last hurrah. Um, uh, before the weather starts to get colder. So we know people want to, you know, take full advantage of it, but we really uh, feel like it needs to be done as carefully as possible. The governor has been speaking out about this. We've been making points about Tri-County. One thing that's true about Labor Day that wasn't true about the 4th of July is that we have a lot of schools that have opened, as well as colleges, and that's creating uh, potentially more pressure on community transmission. So we're... uh, we're really being uh, cautious about what's going to happen this coming weekend. But it seems like Colorado's doing pretty well overall with cases and uh, people coming and going out of the hospital. Colorado is absolutely doing well overall. Colorado is about eighth or ninth from bottom of in terms of number of states regarding our daily incidence rates, which is really fantastic. And since late July, we've had a really marked improvement. We are down about 50, 60, 70 percent in terms of number of cases per day. And that's in spite of the fact that we've got more testing. So that's really, really good. I'd say the one um, cloud on the horizon is that in the last three weeks, our case numbers have sort of been flat. And honestly, I felt much more excited when they were going down every day. And they're not going down every day. And... If they just stayed this way until we got a good vaccine, you know, we could live with that. I, I worry, though, that as it gets colder, as schools open, as colleges open, as we can't be outdoors as much and when we want to be with our friends, it's in a less breezy atmosphere, uh, we, we may start to go up. And I'd love to see us hit the fall and the first snow with uh, a lower rate. Uh, it gives us more room to maneuver, really. Well, that would be right. great. And then we also have flu season coming up. So that's, right. Flu um, season is definitely a concern. Absolutely. Well, let, let me back up. I just read this week, John, that we might have a vaccine for the COVID by early November. Is that true? Well, what's happening is that there, there's a lot of effort to develop vaccines, over 150 around the world. There's six vaccines that are in phase three trials, meaning you're testing large enough numbers of people that you can find out if they work or not. And you get a pretty good idea about their safety. Um, what's being discussed is if the best case scenario should happen and one of these uh, vaccines should work well enough that we, we have a pretty good idea about it, let's 
to be ready. Readiness is the issue. Let's be ready to start giving it to potentially uh, frontline workers, uh, emergency room workers, ICU workers, first responders. It absolutely does not mean we'll have it. And, you know, I think everybody's aware that around the 1st of November is also when we have an election. I think there's some concern that the two have been conflated. I honestly think CDC is trying to simply say, let's be ready just in case. And state and local health departments are making plans for what that means. Um, but if I was betting today in Las Vegas, I wouldn't think we're going to have it by then. I think it's more likely to be the first part of 2021. I think you're right about that. But when we do get it, will it work like a flu shot? They'll just give you a shot when it gets down to our level, once the first responders are taken care of, just like a flu shot? It's going to be like a flu shot in the sense that it'll be probably a shot in the arm. It won't be any bigger and, and probably not any more painful than a flu shot. A big difference will be that it's more than one shot. None of the vaccines uh, that are being tested now are single-dose vaccines, so they all require a second dose roughly four weeks after the first dose. So that means you, Murph, have to remember to set your alarm clock to go back in four weeks. Oh, boy. And, <laughs> and, and it, does, it does complicate things because giving a second dose means lots of extra logistics. Um, yeah, well, we had to do that for shingle shots, too, so I think I can set my clock and, and make that happen. I'll just be glad to get some protection. Yeah. Does yeah, anybody well, worry about this? Because I'm really worried that we're going to do that the, the first responders are going to get the first shots. They better be correct. They better be good and not cause any harm because we need those folks to be healthy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that's really a good point, Jaylee, because you know, we talk about giving them to first responders because they're so vital that we want them to receive the absolute best protection. But you're absolutely correct. If we get too foolhardy and rush this thing out and actually end, there end up being safety issues, then not only do people get harmed, but as you just correctly pointed out, essential people get harmed. You don't want half of the ICU nurses on the sidelines for three weeks because of the vaccine side effect. Now, there's yeah. nothing in the early trials that would suggest that's going to happen, but that's why you do large trials to be sure if you're going to give it to millions of people that uh, rare side effects don't happen. Yeah, well, that's, that's really... Can we talk a, a term going around about COVID long-termers, those folks that had COVID um, and have recovered partially, but are still having some real serious effects, um, the neurological effects, dealing with pain, uh, all sorts of interesting things happening to people, and for a long time. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about that? Yeah, this is really a, an emerging uh, a concern. I mean, we, we've known that you know some people get sick enough to go to the hospital. Some people get sick enough that they actually die. But what we're realizing is that some potentially large fraction, and we don't know how big yet, of people who are in the hospital and get better actually have lingering symptoms. The most common appear to be lung symptoms, people that need to be on oxygen for a while, or even when they get off oxygen, their, their respiratory function's not quite back to normal. It may be neurologic. There's been some something described as brain fog where you just don't think quite as clearly as you were. 
Uh, there have been issues, uh, concerns about uh, long-term cardiac uh, abnormalities. So I do think it's an area that of, of new appreciation. One of the things that you know we continue to learn about COVID is that we continue to learn about COVID. We we continue to get surprised. Uh, I was on a call with the state health department yesterday, and there's some interest in trying to set up better surveillance systems to really try to measure just how important this is. I think a lot of the, the, the chatter has been, gosh, not that many people are going to the hospital. What's, you know, what's the big deal? Well, if you're one of the people in the hospital, it is a big deal. But I think this other long-term dimension is a new one that we've got to be really uh, uh, better informed about. And really could have a much longer impact on the healthcare system, and our, our economy, too, if people can't go back to work or if they're not, you know, if they're just not the same um, as they were. You're, you're absolutely correct. You are absolutely correct, and it's an important dimension for us to understand, and it does create yet more of an incentive for all of us, whether we're kind of young and vulnerable college students or, or older folks, to really uh, take full advantage of all the prevention strategies available. Exactly. And I, I'm wondering, uh, some of these act, uh, after effects, John, that the jail is mentioning and wanting to talk about, is that a certain demographic that appeals to, or is it any age group that's had COVID could have these after effects? You know, right now, again, I think it's pretty, it's, it's too early to say anything very definitively about it, except we're hearing more and more, more reports about this. Um, it does appear to be more common in people that have had this serious form of illness and gone to the hospital. And that would imply that age is going to be a factor. It would also imply that other diseases, diabetes, obesity, heart disease, et cetera, is going to be a factor. Um, but we have heard reports of long-term recovery problems even in young, otherwise healthy people. Whether those will be rare or whether they'll be more common than we uh, have appreciated, I think, is what we need to find out. Well, I, yeah, There I, seems to be some groups popping up on social media talking about, you know, trying to to educate one another and and um, advocating um, that this is real. This is real and it needs, you know, a frustration that they're hearing from doctors. It's just going to take some time um, and them feeling frustrated like, well, you know, this is serious and it's changed my life. Uh, I think we will learn a lot from it. You know, I have fibromyalgia and I had it. Um, I've had it for a long time, and it, it took forever for someone to give me a diagnosis. Um, mm-hmm. And I know how frustrating that is when you when you have real physical symptoms happening to you, and and um, the healthcare system can't seem to figure out what's going on. Yeah, and sometimes there's a feeling that your symptoms aren't being taken seriously. I don't know if that happens yeah. to you or not, but that that can be another dimension of it. Well, I, I got another question for you, John. It's kind of related to this, maybe. Back in the day, and they're still going on, unfortunately, when the protests were going on, especially here in Denver, and there was hundreds and hundreds of people downtown not social distancing, and they were all worried about the COVID maybe spreading through these protesters. Have you heard anything like that? Well, certainly the worry was there. Um, as best uh, we've been able to tell locally, and I think this has been true in most situations, those outdoor events ended up not creating uh, uh, a big wave of transmission. Um, I think part of that was related to some, the fact that some people were wearing masks, but certainly not everybody was. I think a bigger factor was simply the great outdoors. 
um, if you can protest in the street, just like if you can hike in the mountains, you're going to be uh, protected by the breezes and the and the better ventilation. And that's why I get that's part of my <laughs> my nervousness about what COVID transmission could be like when we come back indoors. But I do think these large gatherings are potentially risky, and at least the ones we've seen so far. Uh, the uh, transmission concerns haven't panned out nearly as bad as, as I think some of us feared they could. So well, for this holiday weekend, we're still saying stay with the people that you normally are around, your kind of cohort group, right, that group that you hang out with. Um, yeah. yeah smaller groups, you. less than 10, 10 or less still? Still, That's still the rule of thumb. Try to be socially yeah. distanced. It, let's hope the weather's great so you can enjoy yourself outdoors. Don't forget the hand washing. That seems like, you know, old and boring, but it's still important. And please, yeah, please, and if you're please. doing a picnic, take hand sanitizer with you. Absolutely. And, and keep your mask with you at all times in case you can't be six foot, six feet apart from uh, somebody else. Uh, it, it seems like the wearing of the mask has really become a big part of our life. Like you uh, put a jacket on to go outside, you grab your mask and your hat and you go. Because I, it, everybody's wearing a mask. And I think that's good, right, John? It's absolutely good, Murph. I love the way you just put it. In fact, I, I, you just made me wonder what garment manufacturer is going to come up with built-in masks, you know, in their, in their sweaters and their parkas and things like that. Have you There's, seen these? I saw some on social media where they're, you know, your mask matches your tie or your, um, you know, they're coordinating. You need to coordinate your mask these days. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I have to tell you, one of my favorite uh, painters is a Flemish 16th century painter named Peter, Peter Bruegel. Um, and I found some masks online with some of his paintings. So I'm moving on from homemade masks to some really custom uh, wow. artistic masks. So. <laughs> Look at you, boy. You're, 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 high, you're high fluting over there, man. <laughs> that's right, Tommy. <laughs> oh, that, that's great. And before we wrap up here, we got a minute. we got to urge people again, get your regular flu shots as soon as possible. Right, John? Absolutely, Murph. Get it, get it as soon as you can. We don't have flu yet. Uh, we don't think we're going to have a shortage, but this is absolutely the year where when you think about it, go get it. We want to get a whole lot better than we have in the past. If we can keep flu down, not only will we keep the likelihood of getting sick from it down, we'll give the hospitals more breathing room. We'll give the schools more breathing room. You and I will worry less when someone coughs in our face because there's going to be less flu around. So lots and lots of reasons for all of us to roll up our sleeves and get the flu vaccine. Nice way to end it, John. Dr. John Douglas, Tri-County Health, formerly with the CDC, who uh, visits with us weekly for updates like we just had. John, stay safe. Have a good weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. You guys both have a great Labor Day. Take yep. care. You too. That's it. Mile High Magazine. Thank you, guys. Uh, Dr. John Douglas and Jayla Sanchez-Warren from Dr. Cog, Area Agency on Aging, for helping out on Mile High Magazine. I'm Murphy Houston. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next weekend.